everybody. Welcome to the film room here. We got Matt and Keller here on this episode. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, this is kind of a special one. It's Friday the 13th, released on January Friday the 13th. The original, the 1980 Friday the 13th. And I'm super excited to cover this film with Keller. Keller, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. So Keller, remind me again. I think I feel like we had a text thread conversation about this movie in the fall time. Is that the first time you've watched first time watching it or have you seen it before? Yeah, it was my first time back in November, I think it was. Yeah, it was my first Friday the 13th movie. I've just caught snippets on on TV of the the sequels. I know nothing about the fact that like the first movie didn't have Jason in it for the most part and didn't know anything about like the the whodunit aspect of the movie <clears throat> so that was a pretty cool experience and kind of seeing like the framework for the like all bunch of cliches with the with the beach horror slasher camp movie <laughs> yeah it's pretty awesome I, I it's almost like i've seen it so much that i forget that it's a whodunit you know what i mean because I, I just go into it knowing that it's miss Voorhees, that i'm like oh you just know that in the entire time. It's like, actually, no, they kind of try to frame it as might be Steve Christie. It might be, you know, crazy Ralph. It might be some, some random, some random person. Yeah, that's cool. And like, I say this all the time. I envy you, man. That was the first time you've, you've watched it and you're having all these first, dude. You're just popping cherries left and right. <laughs> and I still haven't seen a Jason movie. So I gotta, gotta do that this fall. Oh, well, yeah, no, we'll get on that. And that's the one thing about, you know, this movie too is like I feel like never watch Friday the 13th movies in the summertime. I only watch them during especially up here in the Midwest end of fall in the middle of winter when it's just fucking brutal around here and it just puts me in the mood. I'm just like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready for summer. I'm ready for well maybe not to wear like the same outfits that they're wearing when you know short shorts and all that stuff, but I'm ready to go to the lake. I'm ready to. I'm ready to party. Not ready to meet Mrs. Voorhees or Jason Voorhees, but it, it, it puts me in the mood. And I com- not that I completely forgot that how like iconic the score was, but I I just I knew it was, and that it kind of stayed consistent throughout the rest of the franchise. But I just for I just I forgot how how much it meant to me because when I was hearing it, I'm like, dude, this is like nostalgic for me. Because this is another franchise that AMC Fear Fest got me hooked on it. Like, I credit a lot of my fandom for horror franchises through AMC Fear Fest, just being way too young to watch these movies. And they have a marathon for like 31 days straight or 30 days straight. It's just, it's, it's awesome. I have a lot of information about this movie and I kind of want to talk about the state of the franchise just because it has a lot of ties to the original and it's I'm actually probably going to bring up some stuff that you aren't aware of. I maybe I shouldn't assume that, but uh, I, I'll probably I'll probably know everything that you that you say. Yeah, okay. That sounds good. Friday the 13th, 1980. They had a budget of $550,000 which is pretty low budget what? even for even for the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Box office 59.8 million dollars. 
So it did okay. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. It uh, very yeah, similar I, to Halloween, I feel like with <clears throat> well, what was Halloween like eighty million or they yeah, it it, it also did really it did very well. It even had I mean Halloween had a smaller budget than this too. And that was something I was gonna bring up is that it was produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham, and Cunningham has he has said in interviews and different uh writing pieces that he was totally inspired by 1978's yeah. Halloween. And you can see Definitely. that. I mean you can see that through a lot of the 80s horror films. So Cunningham also said that he wanted the film to be a really scary movie and also make the audience laugh, which at certain points, I definitely feel they were able to do that. The working title for this film before they landed on the title of Friday the 13th was Long Night at Camp Blood, which I actually kind of like that too. Yeah, Um, that's not too bad. It's better than Halloween maybe going with the babysitter murders or whatever it was. I think the key is to just name your movie after a day of the year. And then it becomes people just associated with that day. Yeah. And that's what they're saying too, is like back in this time that they were just trying to find like those holidays that they could copyright for their films and own the, own the, own the rights to. So they actually looked and to see if they could get Friday the 13th. And I guess there was a moderately successful film called Friday the 13th, something, something, something. And there's speculation because I'm pretty sure that the people that funded these movies, these, at least the first few of the Friday the 13th movies, I, I might be completely wrong, but I think they had like mob ties. Like, I think they're like mobsters or some shit. <laughs> So like they're they're like there's like speculation that they pay the guy off. They're like, hey, take just take the money, all right? I don't want to I don't want to hurt you. Get to keep. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with most movies, honestly. Yeah, no, I I agree. The film was shot in and around the township of Blairstown, New Jersey, in the fall of 1979. So think about it, Keller. That might have been a little chilly to shoot some of those lake scenes, depending on how late it was in the fall. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's some goose goose pimples going. For real. Fun fact is that the second, the third, and I think also the fourth, so the first four films, I'm pretty sure they were all set in New Jersey. So camp, there's the, the infamous Camp Crystal Lake is in the state of New Jersey. In 2007... 10,000 Crystal Lakes, they call it. Yeah. The land of 10,000 <laughs> Crystal Lakes. <laughs> in 2007, the film was actually screened for the first time on Blairstown's Main Street Theater, which actually appears after the opening credits. Here's where things get messy. So I'm going through the writer of this film. Victor Miller wrote the script for this film. And for the last decade plus, he's been in a legal battle to reclaim the rights to the franchise. So he ended up suing Sean S. Cunningham, the writer and the producer, for the rights to this film. He claims that there's a copyright copyright law change in 1976 that states that the original author of a piece of work can petition to transfer that said work after 35 years after the work was created. So that obviously hit in the 2010s and he felt like the rights mm. would rever- revert back to him. 
Now, Sean S. Cunningham. Yes, indeed. Sean S. Cunningham, his argument was that Miller wrote the screenplay as a work for hire. Therefore, he wouldn't have been able to gain the rights to the franchise in the first place. So, this has been settled, but it took a very long time. And the last Friday the 13th film that we had was in 2009. It was the reboot, and we were expecting a lot of sequels, but things got very murky, and this legal battle happened. The rights actually were reverted back to Victor Miller because that copyright change happened in 1976, so he is he is correct. He was not work for hire. He He wrote it, and he got the rights back. So the future of the Friday the 13th franchise is in the hands of Victor Miller. And I think they hired Brad Fuller, who is a screenplay writer and writer, director, producer. He does like a lot of things in Hollywood. So a really exciting uh, development came out uh, this this winter, early winter, that said they are developing a Camp Crystal Lake prequel series for peacock and i am all for it so it's going to follow the early years of pamela Voorhees working as a cook at the camp and maybe some years after that so obviously jason's not going to be the jason in the hockey mask that we It'll know be just a tadpole not quite the fully grown frog boy just swimming around in his dad's nuts it's probably what it'll be at least for the first few seasons that also leads me into this and this will explain why they're not just immediately going to make a Friday the 13th film with Jason donning the infamous hockey mask. Victor Miller has publicly stated that he is he was very unhappy with the decision to make Jason the killer in all the sequels. He said, I loved the idea of a serial killer being a mother whose only motivation was for the love of her child. So he was big on Pamela Voorhees being the killer. So they're thinking that he might budge depending on who's kind of talking in his ear about getting Jason back on the big screen because I think a part of him feels like he missed out on a lot of that money, obviously. Yeah, I suppose. So I think the series is a really good start for him. But I do think at some point, because it'll be huge. Like, trust me, like even in 09, that reboot, it bombed critically, but it made like a hundred million dollars it was i mean it was a success box office wise so i think it would just be honestly like irresponsible of him to not put something out there motherfucker you better put something out there <laughs> the mob's coming back yeah they want we, their rights back we should send the mob to his door but what did you did you know about that at all about what was going on with that situation no, I hadn't read anything about that. But uh, reading this script, this original script, I'd put my faith in this guy as a as a series writer for sure. <laughs> I don't know if he's actually. I don't know if he's writing. I think he's just going to be collecting some checks now. He's he's more so just giving the blessing to okay yeah. to, to use the his so, artistic direction. Yeah, so he he owns the the settings, the characters, and something else. They couldn't move forward with anything else. But yeah, I just. I remember him just being a weirdo about Jason being the the killer in the in the sequels and he's like I just don't understand it and it's like hey man like they took a risk and it ended up working like just got to live with it get your fucking yeah, money now I think they definitely made the right choice money wise but I yeah. I would agree that Mrs. Voorhees is a more like compelling 
killer to me than I mean I haven't seen the Jason movie, but I feel like Halloween has that like big thick guy like chopping people up with a knife. So I already have that in my life. And uh like Pamela Voorhees what or what's her first name? Pamela? Pamela, or, yep. Yeah. She was legitimately scary in this movie to me. <clears throat> and I think just that Agreed. for my like fears in general, having somebody who's like look appears innocent or like somebody you want to trust, like actively looking and like looking evil and hunting you like that, that affects me a lot more than just like a, like a big guy coming to break me over his head. Yeah. Honestly, I, this most recent watch, I agree. I just, I, I did find her very scary, honestly, just unhinged and, you know, and this will have you'll have to determine you'll you'll get an opinion from watching the sequels with Jason, but this is kind of how I compare the Halloween series to the Friday the Thirteenth series. I've always found the Halloween movies to have a more serious note to them, even though some stuff might be funny because it's kind of bad and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That was not the intention at all of any of those directors or uh, screenplay writers. Like Michael Myers is a very serious character and they take him very seriously. So I always kind of felt like, I feel like that's why I kind of am more, I'm more interested in him now because I always felt like that was the more mature franchise. But growing up, Jason Voorhees was my absolute favorite of like all of like the slasher killers and it was my favorite franchise because honestly after the first two films because the second film like that still has a very serious note the third film is where it gets wonky and that's where it kind of goes into that like campy i don't want to say like b-level horror like it's not quite there yet because it still has pretty high quality but it's just one of those movies where you kind of turn your brain off for an hour and a half and you just have fun with it like the kills are brutal but they're so over the top that like they're not going to scar you or anything. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just very entertaining. And that's what I loved about the Friday, the 13th movies. And I mean, I was, I was obsessed. I remember when the reboot got announced. I mean, I was like a kid at the candy store. I just like, could not believe it. I was like looking up all the actors. I was like, when's this thing coming out? I could not wait. And my aunt and uncle actually surprised me with premiere night tickets. So we ended up going, dude. And this is back when theaters were actually like, I mean, I love going to the theater, but with COVID, everything has just kind of changed with it. It just doesn't feel the same, I guess, to me. I just feel like there's not as many people. And I, I just loved the crowds. I just remember we stood outside and waited to get into the theater and people were dressed up as Jason Voorhees. People had blankets with Jason Voorhees. Like it was like an event. It wasn't like you were just going to the movie to watch the movie. It was like you were going there an hour beforehand to experience everything that was happening in the crowd and to like talk to people. Yeah, it was awesome. So we like, I was young and everything, but I remember like my aunt and uncle, like they chat with people and like, you know, I talked to other, you know, kids that were there too. And it was just like fun because it was like, it was an event like there hadn't been a Jason movie in like six or seven years and it was a big deal. And yeah, I remember that for, for other films as well. And now it's like, 
premieres for stuff like yeah i might get busy but nobody's standing in line and kind of getting that social interaction that i don't know you kind of take for granted in the moment you know like you you miss it when it's gone like i miss it a lot i i cherish those memories of like standing in line and maybe hey maybe not camping out for lord of the Rings sequels (laughs) yeah that was the last time i did that was a was the first hobbit movie i waited in line for the midnight premiere which was ended up being kind of disappointing but i that was just like i love that anticipation i feel like i haven't had like huge anticipation for like a new movie in so long yeah like the build-up for like a theater showing isn't as big like everything can be streamed and um i do still love going to the theaters and um i'll go by myself some days and but uh it's been a while since i've been to like a really scary horror movie in the theaters and i went to um uh the second um conjuring movie in theaters that was the last one where i had a big crowd and um like everybody just reacting to everything and me me also being legitimately scared during it i i do want that experience back i've been to the these last couple halloween movies in the theaters but nobody was there and Mm -hmm. uh not exactly like jump out of your seat scary so i'd like to get, get back to that yeah, that was kind of just dis- honestly kind of disappointing for me when 2018 came out. But I was the type of fan who was like, when I saw the trailer for it, I was like not expecting a lot. And I walked out like, oh my God, that was like a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So I thought like kills and ends would be the crowds would be a little more boisterous, I guess. Cause I, I remember going to, and people probably hate it now, but like people would react to what's going on on the screen and they, ah, you know, and all that stuff. And like you, it was just an experience, you know, and like I, I hate to complain about like going to the movies because I still love doing it too. And yeah, me being a movie buff, I've I've never gone by myself yet. I feel like I'm just due to do that though. I feel yeah, like, it's like a, it's a peaceful experience. You just kind of everything's at your own pace, and you just live your own little life for a little bit for a couple hours and grab grab it. All the theaters around me have drinks at the bar now. I can just grab one and bring it into the theater and. Oh, just nice! Get drunk in the theater by myself. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. But yeah, no. And then I remember Avatar and 09. I mean, that and that was at the theater in our hometown, that Safari, when it was still like when it was Love big, Safari. and it was fucking packed, dude. It and it was when you couldn't reserve a seat. So and we went there for my birthday, and it was like nuts, like trying to find a seat, and we had to sit all the way in the front. We got to cock your neck all the way back, and you're watching it, but you didn't care because everyone's just there experiencing it all, where they're all, you know, reacting to everything. So I missed that part of like the movie going uh, experience, but yeah, um, and like reacting to it, like that's my favorite part of horror movies when I have like friends to watch it with, and just having that shared like that shared fear like uh yeah feeding off of each other's like a fear of stuff and yeah like seeing other people being scared like adds to your own it's, it's the same thing with watching comedies i feel like like you wouldn't want to like ideally you're not watching it by yourself you have people to to laugh with and react to stuff right with. yeah no i totally get that i know we went off on a little tangent there i think it, i think we were taking it back to where i was talking about like the difference between the halloween franchise and the friday the 13th franchise and yeah so that's like kind of how i've kind of distinguished the two is that 
Halloween's always felt like the more like serious and mature of the two. And the Friday 13th has always just kind of been like this just fun and outrageous turn off your brain type. I think you'll like them. I think, I think you'll get it. So you'll, you'll enjoy them. I'm, I'm sure I will. So I'll get back to my list here. So another really cool thing is that the ending with Jason jumping out of the lake and, you know, grabbing onto Alice and the canoe that was actually inspired by the ending of uh, Stephen King's Carrie. Have you ever seen that in the 76? Yeah. So like the end hands come out of like the ground and it's kind of like a, a jump scare type thing. So it's does it have that same like, fake dream sequence wake up from dream or no, just like the fake like the fake out ending just the fake out ending yeah mm-hmm. you, you should watch it it's actually it's really good so now i want to talk about tom savini i don't know if you have you ever heard of tom savini mm-hmm. so tom savini did the makeup and practical effects for this movie he's considered the godfather of horror effect uh, in hollywood yep. and he's basically as decorated as they come the kill for Kevin Bacon's character, Jack kind of, I mean, this is early on in his career, but I I think it kind of just cemented him as like this iconic, just makeup artist that can just make these phenomenal effects. I mean, just watching it, you know, tonight and seeing all those kills and the, and the makeup, I'm just like, God damn, like this was in 79, 80. This is amazing. At the same time, like there were, some of my favorite kills I think I've seen in slasher in this movie, but they were kind of all over the place with like, suddenly they'd be like, well, this one's going to be like just a gut stab point of view below the screen. <laughs> like yeah, we used cool. all our budget on the rest of them. Right. Yeah. It's like all the, that's where budget kind of kicks in where it's like, well, we can only have this many on screen deaths, but honestly, like that's like one of my favorite things is, in a slasher film is when they find the bodies and like when the killer yeah, decorates like them or puts them a certain way because Throws I have a note. Yeah. Like, well, that was Tom Savini. Did you know that? When, uh, when, Brenda, when Brenda gets thrown through the window, it's actually Tom Savini who gets thrown through that window. Really? Yeah, he does the stunt. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Jack of all trades. He's seriously, yeah, he, he's so cool. And then he's also, he's in From Dust Till Dawn. He's the guy who has the penis like revolver thing and the whip. I did Remember learn him? that just today. Yeah. yeah. That is that is an iconic character too. I, have, I had no idea that was him and... I yeah. love that character so much in that movie. He's, he's awesome. So yeah, Tom, Tom Savini is the man. Um, <laughs> he's amazing. So now I want to talk about the music and the score. So Harry Manfredini, he wrote the score and the music for this film. And he purposely chose when to add the score to certain parts of the film. He wanted to make sure that the score only played when the killer was present or nearby. So if you remember the scene where Brenda is taking the archery bag target to its stand and it's just quiet. Well, that was done on purpose. And then the arrow comes through and it's supposed to be kind of this like jump scare. And it's, it's Ned playing a, a joke. And they said like, that's kind of like the example of like, well, the killer's not there. So we didn't play the music. So he just didn't want to shoe, like just put the music in, willy-nilly whenever he wanted yeah, for to have like a any suspenseful scene right 
So that was super cool. And Harry Manfredini, he ended up doing so many of the different. I, I almost want to say he did like the first like seven or eight of these these movies. He did the score. I know that he actually came back and he scored the video game, which is pretty cool. But a lot of that's just taking the same stuff and just putting it together. I, so I mean, I think the score like made this put this movie over the top for like I mean same thing with Halloween and like Jaws like those yeah scores when the when the killer's around and um like that adds so much to an otherwise just like run of the mill suspense scene. I know I mean just like watching it again I'm I just like it's just so nostalgic for me and I'm just like I this movie would not be the same without that music. It just it just wouldn't. So it's funny that you bring up Jaws because he was actually inspired by the score from Jaws where the audience was cued that the shark was present only when the iconic score played the dun dun So he uh, stole that from their playbook. And Manfredini also created the popular ki-ki-ki ma-ma-ma sound. It's an echo reverberation of Mrs. Voorhees saying kill her mommy and it's often mistaken as chi 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 cha 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 <laughs> i could see uh, that being a mistake i love it yeah it's it's and they keep it throughout the entire franchise it's awesome i love that uh, yeah and that was one of the scarier parts of the movie is when mrs Voorhees is saying that <clears throat> to mm. herself i know i was gonna say it was like just finishing up the last part here before he hopped on it was like Kill her, mommy. Kill her. Don't let her God. get away. I won't let her get away, Jason. That's why I was like, she actually like is terrible. Yeah, she is. <laughs> uh, I'll get into some of the uh, reception from this film. So right away when this came out, it didn't do very well critic-wise. But also it's a low-budget slasher film. On the uh, revisited, like when people revisit the film and watch it again, they can like appreciate it for what it is. The reviews obviously got a lot better, and they're a little more fair towards it. So as of right now, it has a sixty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so pretty mixed reviews. But that kind of seems just right for me. All right, Keller. Before we get into the film fully, I kind of want to go through the characters with you. Just kind of do some background. And then we just kind of talk about the characters and overall thoughts and just stuff like that. So first, I kind of want want to start with our our final girl, Alice Hardy, portrayed by Adrienne King. She is a Cali girl studying to be an artist, and she has a relationship with Steve Christie. However, that relationship is a little strained. Strange. Strained. (laughs) Because Alice is Alice has a previous flame that she mentions that she has back home in California, but hey, I'm not one to recle- recklessly uh, speculate. But I think there's not there's nothing back home. I think it's right there at Camp Crystal Lake, and I think his name is Bill. I think those two yep, had something going on. I think they had something going on very very briefly. So, what were your thoughts on Alice? Did you like her as a as a final girl? I think like the approach to giving her a backstory, like we got more backstory on her than anybody else. I feel like obviously, mm-hmm. but she still felt like very vague as a character. Um, like even with what you said with like the guy back home and her relationship with Steve, like it felt like such a weird 
like inorganic relationship with Steve? Like, were they are they boyfriend and girlfriend? Are they just just like they just meet like a few days ago at the camp? Right. Um, and him being like at least appearing forty years older than her. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, she seemed like plucky and hardworking, and uh, yeah, she seemed resourceful and tough and stuff. But I mean, she made some very classic horror movie gaffes while fighting Mrs. Voorhees, just letting her lay there and going and hiding in different places yeah. it was very frustrating to watch. Yep. But I liked her just a bit. Um, not super memorable, I would say. Yeah, I would say this most recent watch, I didn't really like her as much as I thought I did, to be honest. Because I, I had her up there with in my like top five uh, final girls, but I don't know. I, I I don't know if it was the material that she was given, but she just kind of seemed just I don't want I don't want to say like ditzy, but she just kind of seemed like like naive at points, and it just kind of like it's not how I, I remembered her. Yeah, especially when she wakes up from her dream. Yeah, at the end of the movie, like she's this is supposed to be like her heaviest, like most dramatic part in the movie um <laughs> she she just she is very cali girl cali girl in that scene where um that means he's still there yep <laughs> that boy the boy in the lake a boy really lake. wish they just didn't have that scene in the movie so just ended with her getting dragged into the lake yeah that would have been a lot better i don't know if you know this or not but Adrian King, the actress, she actually had to quit acting quite early in her career because she had a crazy stalker situation from this movie. So there was some crazy fan that just like was obsessed with her character. And I guess he like she's openly talked about this on other podcasts and like uh, interviews that she's done. And I guess it got pretty bad i think he ended up like like confronting her a few times and it just like wasn't a good situation and that's why uh she is in the second one but she's more of a cameo uh role in the in the in the second film but it's kind of a rough situation because she just kind of was like eh, it's not really worth like continuing this uh, career i should but put that I, guy in a lake seriously shackle his ass down we just got done talking about alice hardy and her relationship with steve christie so let's transition to steve christie who's trying to open up uh, camp crystal lake for the first time in decades so steve christie portrayed by peter brower he's the lead counselor i guess the owner of camp crystal lake who ends up having a romantic i guess in air quotes romantic uh, relationship with alice uh, Steve's reopening the lake and it used to be his parents lake everybody in town the townspeople think he's crazy for doing so because they think the lake is cursed from what's happened in the past so boy drowned in 1957 which would be Jason and 1958 two camp counselors were murdered and then they tried reopening in the past and then all these weird things were happening arson and crazy stuff and I think they tried opening it again in 1962 his parents I should say tried opening it again in 1962 and then well, do you remember the line? Or it was like, 
the lake water was bad or something. Like it was just kind of a throwaway line. Yeah, I remember it, him like giving excuses or like giving a breakdown of everything that happened at the lake. Yeah. Mundane. And then I don't know if they like ended up dying, but he just kind of like took on the I guess the family business and he he wants to to open up the the, the camp again and he's put twenty five thousand dollars into into the camp already which i mean shit probably in i mean that's a lot of money now but like in 1980 that's probably a shit ton of money so um what were your overall thoughts on steve christie i just want to say absolutely love the shirtless scenes with a bandana around his neck (laughs) yeah he had a very bronzed body going on a lot of oil i thought he was like i don't know if it was intentional or not but i thought he was like set up to be the number one suspect for killing the people because he had the jeep that was like identical to to Voorhees and I mean he was just overall kind of creepy to me <clears throat> yeah. but yeah I, th- I thought he was just also kind of a kind of a strange character to to throw on we didn't see him for very long stretches of the movie um he yeah. ran into town and like just like sat at a diner for a long time <laughs> and came yeah back. That that's where I think they were trying to like set it up where it might be him. Like he's like, I gotta go into town and get some supplies before the storm comes in or something. Gotta return some videotapes. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like we get that scene where he's just like at the diner and it's like it looks like he's had like three or four coffee cups. He must have been there for a while, but yeah. Gotta wait yeah. out the storm. I forgot how little he is in this movie. Like I guess yeah, for the whodunit aspect, they're probably trying to think him. But then I think then like rewatching it now, it's like seeing scenes of him uh, where it just doesn't line up unless like the 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 timelines were off when people were getting killed and where he was at. Because yeah. I'm like, well, he's in the cop car. Well, he's he's in he's in the diner. He's he's here. He his like his vehicle's not starting. He's walking back to camp. He's at the front of the camp. Like he's not gonna be able to get there. So. Yeah, I I do I do, actually do really that's why my one of my favorite scenes is when he's coming back and Mrs. Voorhees is behind the welcome to camp Crystal Lake sign and shines a flashlight in his face and he's like what are you doing out here in the cold or whatever like <laughs> like you could tell he knew who it was must have goose pimples <clears throat> here let me let me help you up real quick oh yeah I suppose he would recognize her right yeah because worked for the Christies and then I'm sure yeah I grew up around. Grew up around her, and then poor old Steve Christie. Camp Christie Lake. Met his demise. I wish he would have kept that red bandana around his neck the entire movie. <laughs> would have been nice. Nice little touch. I thought it was an ascot at first, and I was like, why is he wearing that without a shirt on? <laughs> and I was like, wait, that's just a bandana. Wish <laughs> he's wearing that snake around his neck. Now let's get to some of the counselors. Brenda Jones, portrayed by Lori Bartram. She's the camp counselor hired by Christy. She befriends Bill and Alice right away when she gets there. You can see that they have a lot of chemistry, those three, because they end up playing strip Monopoly together. I also want to mention that uh, Bartram sadly passed away from pancreatic cancer on May 25th, 2007 at the age of 49. So very, very young. Brenda's character, I liked her. I just felt like she didn't bring a ton to the table, I guess. I mean, hey, she did bring the strip monopoly to the table. She uh she was a she was a good girl. She was just trying to save someone's life 
And yeah, I feel like she was pretty likable. <clears throat> that all those three were good together. I think yeah. they were the best. Like, yeah, good chemistry. Yeah, trio in the movie. Well, it, isn't it weird that like the camp counselors were basically there were six of them, but they were split in groups of like three. You know what I mean? Because like mm-hmm. Ned, Marcy, and Jack showed up together, and then like Bill and Brenda and Alice are already there, and. Well, I guess there's supposed to be a seventh because Annie, but we'll talk about her. Yeah, I, I liked I liked Brenda's character. A little bit of foreshadowing with uh, Ned pulling that prank on her, shooting the arrow, could have yep. killed her. Foreshadowing Ned, what was going to happen to her next. Ned was just, yeah, something else. We can talk more about Brenda when we get into the film. Let's talk about Bill. Bill Brown is actually his character's name. Uh, portrayed by Harry Crosby. Bill was an upbeat nice guy handyman type character to me he also seemed like one of the lead counselors and i also have a note saying that even though he has an off screen death he's probably my favorite kill in this just because i love how he's just like pinned up against the wall with like arrows and his neck is like slid open it's just fucking vicious dude it's pretty over the top he definitely did not deserve that type of death He was an overall good guy. He was an overall good guy. You know, he's like, oh, I'll go check on her. I'll go do this or I'll go check on the generator. Oh, no, you stay here and you get some sleep. Like he just felt like a very like like genuine guy. So I think that's another one where we're like, yeah, we like him and probably. Yeah, he's pretty competent. He's down to play strip poker. He's just an all around dude. Yeah, he wasn't. uh, He wasn't. He didn't even seem like he was like, I mean, he's playing strip poker with two other women and he's like not like being like flirty and anything anything really he's just like all right i'll play i'll take my boots off just whatever he just <laughs> kind of cool goes with the flow. yeah he's like all right just play it cool play it cool so yeah bill was awesome all right let's get to the next trio of camp counselors ned rubenstein portrayed by mark nelson camp counselor some might describe him as a pervert a little bit of a jokester and definitely flirty He's friends with Jack and Marcy. What were your overall thoughts on well, Ned Rubenstein? It's just he, as a character, just made me think of Fever Lake, the movie, because he was <laughs> that they had like the exact same guy in Fever Lake, like the little jokester who, like Scotty. everybody would kind of shit on a little bit. Yeah, he, I mean, he uh, had it all in this movie. He had a little cultural appropriation he had um why was he even doing perverted comments (laughs) yeah uh but i think he i mean he fits like his archetype archetype for a slasher movie like you gotta have that type of dude in there where you just don't care if he gets chopped in half yeah this might be a hot take but i honestly thought that he was like the best at delivering his lines like he seemed like to me, he he felt like the best like actor, and maybe it's just because he had a more a character that was doing so much, just being like the jokester and being wild that you can kind of just like yeah, pull that I think off. The, the writers were probably just like, like finally we get to write some jokes, <laughs> so they like put yeah. all their effort into that instead of being like, what's uh, this uh, strange tension and art discussion we're going to have between alice and steve can we just get to the jokes again already yeah yeah i do think he got like 
good lines and he delivered them pretty well. He's a pretty good actor. Yeah, Ned, uh, something I was reading about his character, he would flirt with women even if they had a boyfriend. So I think they're kind of talking about how he like jokes and flirts with Marcy. It's almost like the dynamic of, well, that's your best friend's girlfriend. You just maybe I was kind of wondering about that. Marcy was also very flirty with him kind of throughout the movie. I, I, after reading some of that and like watching it this last time, I kind of saw from a different angle and I'm like, yeah, maybe there's like something there because remember Ned's watching them from the distance while they're hopping from log to log and he's like feeling bad for himself and then he hops around. This is like right before he dies, right before he sees Mrs. Voorhees in that cabin. So yeah, part of me is like, I think that's a, that's his best friend's girl. He wants her. Yeah, there's there's an implied triangle going on there. For sure. Speaking of that, let's talk about Jack Burrell, portrayed by some guy named Kevin Bacon. I don't know if he's if he's done anything, but who is this guy? Yeah, I guess all we could say is that he's Marcy's boyfriend. Jack. I like Jack. He's just kind of this laid back, just whatever kind of dude. I love how like when the police officer shows up, he like walks up and the police officer's like, You look like you just walked out of a we've been smoking. He's like, I, sir, I don't smoke. He's like, You look like you just walked out of a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeds to go, Oh, nice bike. And he's like rubbing the bike and stuff and about to like answer the walkie talkie. And, and I'm just like, What are you doing, guy? Like just why yeah he did just walk off a spaceship i kind of forgot how much they did smoke in this movie they had a lot of joints going on yeah they yeah they were definitely smoking smoking that dope yeah jack's the only one that ended up getting lucky and dying of post coitus so uh i guess he's the lucky i don't know one. if he I don't, I don't know if he even finished she had to go to the bathroom didn't she <laughs> <laughs> she had to go to the, well i don't know i i feel like he did because they were kind of like cuddling and all that stuff uh, yeah. so i think yeah one can uh, assume one, yeah one one can assume but obviously portrayed by kevin bacon i think this is either his first film credit or his second film credit and obviously he went on to do a lot of other stuff and he became like super successful personally kevin bacon is probably one of my favorite actors he's in a lot yeah, of movies great. that i really like he has really really good range he can play a really good good guy and a really bad bad guy or i guess good bad guy <laughs> yeah because he he's in hollow man i love him in hollow man he's in the woodsman that's a good one too he's in another one i forget what it's called but oh sleepers that was made in the 90s where he plays a a, a guard who's like just absolutely terrible human being he's a terrible human being in footloose yeah footloose yeah he just you're not supposed to dance okay okay kevin you're just not Can you please supposed follow to the rules for once yeah, in your life just, people fucking die because they danced okay and now they don't want anyone dancing motherfucker yeah i don't really people know who kevin bacon is so you know jack jack's just a horn he's just a horn dog well his character jack is supposed to be like kind of a kind of a jock right yeah i think so but also I read something where it was like Bill's character was supposed to be impressed by how he was able to turn on the janitor or gen janitor generator. How Jack turned on the generator. Yeah. Because like, so Bill's supposed to be like the camp, like handyman and like maintenance guy. And then Jack walks in there and he goes, Oh, this is just like my, 
like my uncle's up at, up in uh up in New York in his cabin in New York or something. And he's like, I think I know how to turn it on. He like goes in the back, he like does something, and then he like flips a bunch of bunch of switches, and like Bill's just kind of like saying, like, oh, okay, like this guy knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Okay, he's got a little, he's got a little uh, street smarts. Yeah, so they think that he might be like a little bit like of, of a handyman as well, and... of a savant, kind of a savant <laughs> when it comes to... <laughs> a generator savant. <laughs> hey, can you go fix that sink? Uh, is, it, is there a generator connected to it? I don't. What, what's it run i won't be able to do it <laughs> okay. i did read in the script that um like ned was supposed to be kind of like quick and smart um and uh jack uh they described it as <clears throat> not as smart as ned he has to think things through <laughs> that's all it says he's just kind of dumb yeah <laughs> Not as smart as Ned has to think things through. That's his character. Just like, okay. He's yeah. So the description of the character is that he's just not as smart as his friend. <laughs> Ned is the baseline for all human intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's, he's oh, here, here very like, niche. An athlete whose clean cut look is as American as popcorn. He's quieter, two years younger, and not as smart as Ned. He has to think things through. Because he's two years younger? <laughs> his brain isn't fully developed yet? <laughs> yeah, he hasn't, his brain hasn't developed. Yeah. But he's two American years more popcorn. developed than him. That's awesome. That's a great line. As American as popcorn. Well, let's talk about Jack's girlfriend. Marcy Stanler, portrayed by Janine Taylor. She's also a counselor, girlfriend of Jack, just like I mentioned. She talks about the scene where they're like hopping around the logs. This was kind of cool. A little bit of background about her character. She talks about how she's always been frightened by storms because she'd have this like recurring nightmare where the rain turns into into blood and eventually like gushes like a river and then she like wakes up. So that was kind of that was kind of I interesting. I completely forgot about that scene. I wish they um, added more onto her uh her psychic abilities it was also said that she was a uh, receptive to the to to pranks and she was a good sport about pranks and she knew how to dish dish out pranks as well they said that that's why she kind of had a pretty good relationship with ned however she does the same time she talks about her nightmare she does talk to jack about how ned sometimes takes things too far and i i agree he, true. he he doesn't know that there's a line. And it's funny because Jack just goes, Oh, Ned is Ned. <laughs> boys will boys be boys. Will be boys. <laughs> she was pretty handy as well. She was able to problem solve and fix a leaking faucet very fast. Or I guess a faucet that wasn't turning on. She decided to go underneath and open up the valve. But it was also her last accomplishment in life because she was killed immediately afterwards. <laughs> They picked the, the right uh, the right crew of camp counselors. I could have fixed this place up pretty quick, I feel like. Yeah, they were the A-team. Right before her, and in my notes I say, very brutal kill, her last line of dialogue was, must be my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been the wind. 
But her kill is very brutal, and I love the added it's element of the axe when it's going up, and as it's coming down, it hits the light, and then it hits her, and then the light's like shaking like back and forth. That is great. It's yeah, it's awesome. I I loved it. Fucking phenomenal, mate. All right, and so let's get to the last camp counselor on the list here, Annie Phillips, portrayed by Robbie Morgan. She was a camp uh, counselor hired as the camp cook. She seemed like a cheerful, bubbly girl who seemed very optimistic to help out at Camp Crystal Lake. But she also kind of seemed a little naive. She was killed by Pamela Voorhees, who, ironically, was the camp cook decades ago. And here's a little note about the actress. So Robbie Morgan, she auditioned for a different movie, but the same, like, producers and directors were like uh, on that and they told her no for that movie because she's they said that she was perfect for this character they said she was hired because they wanted annie's character to be an adorable camp counselor which robbie morgan had acting chops for and i i i liked her she's yeah. super just like bubbly and stuff but um it's kind of it was kind of sad to see her see her die i love how like when Pamela Voorhees like passes the turn for Camp Crystal Lake. She just like still tries to be chill. And she goes, I think you uh passed I think I think you passed the camp. And then she's just like, I, I, I think we better turn back. And then she like she like revs up and she's like, Oh, you should probably let me out of here. That whole scene is a little like like it's kind of like it's scary, obviously, just like imagining yourself being in that situation. But the way they do it with your point of view of being silent watching her. Like it feels like you're watching like something like Blue's Clues, where she's like, <laughs> like talking to you and like, the as if show. you're saying something or like responding to her, and then she's like reacting to that unseen. Do you want to go to camp today? Pauses five seconds. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> Sounds good. She was chipper, like a children's yeah. like. TV she would have been a good counselor. She shouldn't have been stuck in the kitchen. She should have been. She would have been activities. She'd have been great. I, all... I think she was like a good um, representation of like innocence of that time, where like you could just hitchhike, or people did that all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's like a lot of hope for the future or whatever. Um, but like that's a good juxtaposition to like the horror movie villain being like the the killer of not just people physically but of the innocence of the time yeah yeah definitely because i mean it goes back to what was happening in the 70s with the problem with like 70s was infamous for those serial killers all across the country and it was their targets were people like that just innocent the serial killer problem <laughs> that we eradicated yeah, a serial killer problem that we hired a bunch of exterminators and they eradicated <laughs> them what did you think about the scene was his was the truck driver's name ennis in the script they just call him oil man i can't oil I man okay so holly was actually watching uh she watched like rex first, like, rex is his name yeah Oh, I saw something that was like E N O S. I was like, that has to be like Ennis. Enos. <laughs> e I was like, there's no way his name is Enos. 
uh so she was watching like the first like half an hour with me and it was funny when he was driving her because they're getting all of that like exposition and everything about the lake and stuff like that and he's just like insulting her and holly's just like what is going on he's like she's just like like does not care that this man is just like he's been insulting her this entire drive and i was like i know it was it was like funny when she like said that and i was like yeah but he's he's always like kind of like smirking at her like you're a dumb kid you're so fucking stupid and then he just like smirks. yeah he's so wistful (laughs) looking at her like i was 30 years younger yeah i thought he 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 was like a threat to her right away and then yeah like he ended up just being like uh yeah a vehicle for exposition giving background about the lake and stuff and then she got out well then he was able to yell at crazy uh crazy ralph what's his name crazy ralph yeah go on get so yeah i want to that that's who i was going to transition into uh next was crazy ralph and i mean it's just like crazy ralph man in his late 50s early 60s he's the the town crazy i mean how do you get a title and a name like crazy ralph without having the reputation of being an absolute nut job I fucking love Crazy Ralph. Well, in the first movie. I love him in the first movie because he's just like this crazy, like, just I have to warn you. crazy. He's just nuts. He's just crazy. <laughs> he's just insane. He's Crazy Ralph. Come on. Get it? No, I just, I just love how, like, he's just this nuisance to, like, even, like, law enforcement. Just as uh, Crazy Ralph made his way up to the camp here. Well, keep your eye open. I saw him riding his bike around here. It's like, don't you have bigger fish to fry than this like fucking guy who's just like going around saying, you're doomed. <laughs> you're doomed if you go there. It's called a Damcus. The, the reason why I say I like his character more in the first is because in the second one, he's a little bit of a peeping Tom. Oh, come on, Ralph. Come on, Ralphie. You don't want that kind of crazy. You got to get home. And he's married, too, because they're like, yeah, we, oh. we got him home to his wife. Come on, dude. Don't he probably doesn't even exist. If you got a wife, just what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, I like the description of Ralph in the script. Which yeah, what's that say? I don't think this happened in the movie. First of all, Andy wonders if she should accept the ride with this guy, Enos, the oil man. Name is Enos. But suddenly, from between two parked cars, pops Ralph, a crazy hobo, who has two rats in his mouth, two dead rats in in his mouth, their tails in his teeth. They swing from him like a strange beard. Kelly, you're not telling me. No, this. That's what they were intending for a crazy Ralph to be like. He's gonna have dead rats in his mouth. What the fuck, dude? Their tails in his teeth so like they're are they like flossed in between his teeth so they can just dangle or is like he, he like he is he biting him? down on them yeah like he like caught him or something like dude God damn it Ralph, get out of here i actually you know now that you're reading the script that or that you read the script i think i'm going to start reading the scripts for these episodes because like now you kind of like know because they explain like the thought process yeah. and everything see so what you, changes you have a better yeah, idea all ralph says in the script is 
it's Friday the 13th, and he giggles and skulks away. <laughs> <laughs> the rats dangling from his mouth. You are fucking kidding me. That's his only line? He's got it's rats Friday in the mouth. 13th. It's Friday the 13th. <laughs> dude, that is... Come on. Come on, dude. I can't believe he's in more than one movie. Yeah, he's in the second one a little bit. Wow, that's that's crazy. So, uh... The only other been, two. He should have been the main antagonist throughout the series after that. Yeah, yeah, the rat faced so. man. Fucking insane. I didn't really look into these two characters just because, like, they're. They just. They're, they're the first kills, but Barry Jackson and Claudette Hayes, the camp counselors that are killed in, in 58, they're just trying to get the rocks off. And, you know, just, they're, they're just horny. You know, it's summertime, it's hot out. Do you have anything yeah. on them? Uh, no, I thought that was like an, an interesting glimpse on the camp. I it seemed to be like a Bible camp or something. Kumbaya, my lord, singing that just Jeez. multiplies the horniness. Could you imagine sitting in a group with your friends singing that fucking song? I'd love that. That's what I'm saying. Sounds so peaceful. We got to do that next time we're all together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of went through. Well, I guess we didn't really go through Pamela Voorhees. That's kind of a big one to to go through. But yeah, she's the main antagonist. Uh, the the killer spoiler. in this whodunit. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, she uh, she was the original Camp Crystal Lake uh, cook back in the forties and fifties. And her son, Jason Voorhees, which we probably don't even need to explain too much. He drowned in 1957. And it was because, I guess she claims that counselors were off making love while my young boy drowned. So she blames the counselors for his death, which, I mean, I don't know if that's ever been confirmed that nobody was watching him or not. But it could, just knowing how crazy she is, that could just be something she made up in her mind to justify his death. Like, like he died crazy because Pamela crazy Pamela. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah. So when oil man was talking about how they tried to reopen the camp and all these like fires started happening and all these, uh, just like mishaps, uh, they're like, they never found out who it was. Well, obviously we know now that that was Mrs. Voorhees trying to thwart, the Christie's plans to reopen uh, Camp Crystal Lake. So she was the one behind it all. And so Keller, with Mrs. Voorhees, when we finally see her and we're introduced to her on screen, I think it's seriously at like the hour and 30 something minute mark. Yeah. And there's like 20 minutes left in the movie. What, what was going through your mind when she steps out of that Jeep? Um, I wasn't like super shocked. Like they set it up as a whodunit, but or like it's technically a whodunit movie, but they don't really like go out of their way to add a lot of misdirection or like um things that could lead you to thinking that somebody else is the killer. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> It's mostly like I was going into it thinking it was a Friday the 13th movie. 
Um, like I wasn't sure about like the timeline for Jason. So I was kind of expecting it to be a Jason movie because I thought all of them were. <clears throat> so it was like a kind of a surprise for me to have her be like the only like the main like the actual antagonist. And it was a good payoff. But yeah, I, I feel like it was kind of a thing where like, yeah, every every arrow kind of points to her to to be it, really, really uh, looking back at it. But yeah, I think like yeah, the... I thought she was a great villain. Yeah, I think she did a great job. And I think that like probably as an audience member, when you're back in the day, just first watching it, like just seeing the van- the Jeep and seeing her walk out like you knew, but Alice had no idea. So it was probably trying to create the effect of like, no, no, don't run to her for help. Like she's not good. She's not good. And you obviously find out like really fast because she's very quick to be like, let's go inside. Oh, this is horrible. Like looking at Brenda, like this is terrible. Young life lost. My my son lost his life. He was a young boy. He drowned. Nobody was watching him. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure like she, uh, <laughs> that's the first thing she brings up whenever she talks to anybody. Yeah, it doesn't Just have to be prompted by a dead body. Chill with that. Just okay, Pamela. Yes, your son fucking died twenty plus years ago. Okay. Just relax. <laughs> Get a hobby. Yeah, so all right, you ready to dive into this thing? Yeah, I since suppose. We, since we kind of went through everyone, we probably won't have to say stick, their names ever again. Say their names ever again. And yeah, we open, and I kind of like this uh, very quiet open. I was like, what's going on? I was like, I thought my, my TV was muted, to be honest with you. Like, I was like, hey, like what's going on here? And then <clears throat> finally, we get the, like, even the Paramount Pictures was like silent. And then a Sean S. Cunningham film silent I'm like what is going on here but uh we open with the prologue set in 1958 where we're at camp crystal lake and we hear some singing in the background and like we mentioned before it's a group of camp counselors singing bible songs probably but uh i do like that we have a pov of mrs Voorhees creeping through the cabins where the kids are sleeping where we're first introduced to the score i really like that that was that was super cool yeah so eventually doesn't claudette after she's done because she's the one playing guitar and she's singing away and then she's the one who like mouths something to barry like i want you or something like that or like let's go now yeah i think so yeah so yeah they which is also didn't did they just go upstairs like above them where they were playing music or did they go somewhere else and then upstairs i think it was just like the loft right above <laughs> in in the pile of boxes for that's pretty bold of them to have sex like right above like where all their friends are at where yeah they can eat like creaky floorboards come on and like yeah he's such a gentleman he like lays down like a little like tiny blanket for her <laughs> and then she says she has like a line she's like you said we were special. It was like out of nowhere. She's like, you said we were special. And he goes, I meant everything I said. Like, what? Okay. I ended up turning the subtitles on because I was like, I kind of want to like see like, like what their dialogue actually is. There is a lot of dialogue in this movie that's just like implying a lot of <laughs> like conversation that happened prior to that. Like with right. uh, Steve and um, Steve and Alice too. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. 
Yeah. So eventually, Mrs. Voorhees walks up on the, or creeps up on them. But did you also catch like what they were saying, what they were saying to each other as they were like in the middle of? I don't even know if they were having sex yet, but he said something like, "I'm not made of stone." Yes, I did what? make a note of that. <laughs> what did she say? Awesome line. What prompted him to say that? Do I have it here? Someone's there, Barry. Come on, Claudette. Man's not made of stone. What? What do you mean by that, Barry? <laughs> yeah, she should have Somebody's there, Barry. Like he's he's impatient. I just think of the um, audio slave song, like a stone. Where he's just waiting. Yeah. You know, that guy should get rights to that because he basically <laughs> yeah. wrote that song for him. <laughs> the writer of Friday the 13th should sue. Um, he's, he's at it again. Chris Cornell <laughs> from yeah. the grave. But uh, yeah, uh, Pamela walks in on them and say, hey, we weren't doing nothing. We were just uh, messing around and then stabbed in the gut, which. Uh, it's below the camera frame, so you don't see it, but you see the aftermath. And she got him good. Got him the spleen is where I'm thinking she got him. And then I love like this, like well, not like not like I love seeing a woman in just like absolute terror, but it was it was kind of cool because like she had nowhere to go, or at least she, she made it seem like she had like nowhere to go because she kept like running like like left to right, like throwing stuff and just like. She was just, throwing things like to the side of our point of view too. Like she yeah. was throwing it to the, our left. Like you could at least throw it towards the camera. And then uh, I like the um, I like the slow mo freeze frame kill for Claudette. Yeah. That like that was a inauspicious beginning to this movie. I feel like it didn't didn't bode well for the quality of the movie, but it was up. It was only up from there. Yeah, I for the longest time I like f- forgot that that was even part of the movie and that like that had happened. Yeah, and then we smash cut to the Friday the 13th title card breaking through a pane of glass. Fucking violins going insane. The music was great leading up to that scene like the Friday the 13th Jaws music. Yeah. Yeah, I know I loved it. We go through the opening credits and then uh we open on Annie hitchhiking through town and it opens as they say like Camp Crystal Lake and then it says the present. Mhm. I was like mm, I probably would have just said present day. The present. The present. But yeah, she's just walking through town and then I love how she she walks up to the gas station, walks up to the dog, and she goes, hey, how you doing, girl? And he go- she looks down, she's like, oh, excuse me, boy. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> like, quick checking. Yeah, like, okay, that was necessary, I guess. I kind of like when movies throw in just, like, random offhand dialogue like that. That particular one is a little weird, but... Yeah, just throw something in every now and then if you think of something. Got to pad that runtime. Like, yeah. oh man, we're we're only at 70, 78 minutes. We got to add about ten minutes. Check the dog's genitals quick. Yeah. I was like, how about Annie encounters like a dog when she gets into town and she like 
mistakes it for uh, a girl. She misgenders the dog. Yeah, mis yeah. Imagine that today. Like, it's like you misgender the dog, or it sh the the owner should have been there or like standing and been like, "Did you just call my dog a girl?" And be like, "I'm so sorry. I did not look at the genitalia." And be like, "That does not define them." But then she ends up walking into the diner. And I love it. This is this reminded me of a Fever Lake too, where like everybody is just like, look, well, first she goes, anybody know how to get to Crab Crystal Lake? And everyone's just like, going up I loved it. Everyone's just like, huh? Like, what's going on out there? And then she's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna be a camp counselor. And then it's like, shouldn't uh, shouldn't be opening that place up again. Uh, just gonna stir up some trouble. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. I always gotta have nervous townies. Yeah, that's like a consistent theme for a lot of like slasher films. Is no town is just like normal. <laughs> yeah, no town is just like a, like oblivious to what's happening. Like they're just like everyone like, in the town knows exactly what like the rumors and the omens are, and they all believe it. Yep. Except for one exactly. guy, maybe. Except for most of the time, it's like the sheriff. It's just yeah, like, exactly. The only never... like person who has the authority to take care of things. That never happened. That's not happening right now. Let's we'll call him Oil Man. He mm -hmm. says that he can give her a ride, but doesn't he say something like ride. he can give her like only like halfway there or something like that? He couldn't take her the whole way. Yeah, it seemed like a three minute drive. It didn't can't take her the whole way. Save yeah. her life. I mean, good God, man. But yeah, you're, we mentioned this before. This is when they encounter Crazy Ralph. And in the in the actual film version, he does not have two rats God, hanging out of his mouth. That. that is just like, I am like baffled by that, Keller. I'm, you should send me the link to that script. I kind of want to <laughs> read it now. Because I, I want, did you read the entire thing? Not the entire thing, but... Uh, just to remember some of the early parts of the movie, yeah, two rats hanging out of his mouth with his with tails in his teeth. In his is he teeth. like talking with his mouthful? This is the motherfucker that won the rights back. That's insane. <laughs> I wonder. That's what, why yeah. I'm so glad. I want to. <laughs> I want to bring the, that vision of Ralph back. Oh my god, that's just like cartoonish. But yeah, he's like warning her like you can't go to camp crystal lake it's a death curse 13th <laughs> it's fat and the rats are like yeah! like fucking fucking around in his mouth are they live rats or are they dead does it specify dead. they said they specify they're dead rats okay well that i guess that's better than live rats. yeah he's like, not torturing the rats at least i just love how like the truck driver guy is like get the hell out of here just like Treats him like he's not even here. He's used to it. But yeah, this is uh, where they get into the truck, and then it's funny because she's like, "Well, the truck driver's like, you really shouldn't be heading that way." Like, like almost being like, "Hey, listen, like, Crazy Ralph's kind of right, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you exactly why you shouldn't be heading." Yeah, that he's way. so like smug and self righteous on that whole drive. Yeah, he Eat gave. Oil, I hate Enos. Ennis, Enos, Ennis, oil man. The uh, yeah, I'm re I'm looking at it right here. Is like it says Ennis, a friendly truck driver from the diner. <laughs> so he actually agreed to take her uh 
to give Annie a lift to the crossroads cemetery, which would be halfway to the camp. Okay. I'm going to visit my dead family who all died at the camp. Oh, I have the lines here from uh, Crazy Ralph. You're going to Camp Blood, ain't ya? <laughs> and then <laughs> they just said that they ignore him. And then, yeah, Ralph starts talking to her and saying, it's got a death curse. I did love that actor for Crazy Ralph. That was a good choice. But yeah, like we said, there's a bunch of like exposition, like warning her about mm-hmm. um, the lake. And then as that's happening, we're then introduced to... Uh, Ned Rubenstein, Jack Burrell, and Marcy Stanler uh, on their way to Camp Crystal Lake, kind of setting them up as uh, as like the three, you know, friends, the three amigos that they are. And I love how it's like banjo music in the background. Like, He's bound yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> up and trucking. Yeah, they are listening to like... Uh, yeah, that was a very unexpected banjo music to be like it's blasting it is, in their too. car yeah, yeah it's just the banjo just, just solo banjo. banjo music i'm reading something here that says jack and marcy are a couple and ned is most likely jealous of them so i think we were oh, onto something okay. when you mentioned that so um intelligence we have ah, a very high eq i love it um so Ned, Jack, and Marcy, they, they get to the camp, and then that's where we're introduced to the fucking just the absolute hunk of this film. Steve Christie. Steve Short Christie. shorts, jean shorts, I think. Shirtless, bronze, tan, sweaty as fuck. He's chopping wood. Chopping wood for hours. He's wearing a red band. Not even like, I, I didn't want to say a regular red bandana. He's wearing a fucking dirty, muddy, just greasy, yeah, gritty fucking red bandana around his neck. He is a hard worker. And at first when I was watching this, I, I thought he was just like chopping like for like firewood. And then he was just like smacking the stump. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, I don't like did they tell him just to do that but then it's like oh no he's pulling the stump out and uh so yeah when uh ned jack and marcy arrive he uh they give him a hand to pull the the stump out and then alice runs over and we are introduced to our final final girl and she introduces herself to um marcy ned and steve as well and that uh he lets she lets Steve know that there's another cabin that needs to be prepared, which is the one where we kind of learn a little bit about their, I guess, relationship a little bit. Then it's, a little bit, a, a lot of it, I guess. I guess everything because Steve's just kind of like gone after that. He just yeah. he, he leaves for town. Yeah, they don't right. ever meet up again after that. That's their last conversation. Is him convincing her to stay for the for the week. And they hammer in a down or eaves trough like with one nail. And that I had that in my notes too. I was like, she could barely hold up this entire thing, and he's like, need a hand with it. And then they like hold it up for a second, and she one tiny rusty nail, one rusty nail. And he's like, got it. She's like, got it. Good, we're good. Here's my drawing of you. Yeah, he's like, you're a very talented artist. She's like, I wish I had more time to do it. Like, okay. There's a lot of sexual I'm tension. So addicted to Monopoly. Don't I love, love Strip Monopoly. 
Steve Christie, I thought he was a little bit more of a creep than I remembered. I mean, yeah, he might be late 30s, early 40s, dating a early 20-year-old growl, but he he definitely didn't... I mean, he did say, like, come on, give me a chance, but he definitely didn't seem, like, like overly... He like, wasn't too pushy. pushy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think to our modern eyes, seeing this guy with, like, full body hair mustache uh <clears throat> especially the mustache we just uh draw some conclusions on on something maybe not fair uh but he he also wasn't the greatest actor i feel like <clears throat> yeah so he kind of came off as a little uh a little creepy but um <clears throat> i wish they did more with his character at least like having interactions after that but yeah he was basically just a non-factor after that conversation with alice like even up to his death where you find out he's not the one who's doing it i still just feel like his character is just still very ambiguous and there's a lot that i still want to like know about him i guess it's just like what how many people did he kill how many people did you kill or like i mean he'll probably actually be part of the tv series so we might get some more background on a young steve christie a young steve christie that'd actually be awesome yeah that'd be great same red bandana (laughs) that'd be awesome i love it yeah and then we we just kind of meet everybody who's at uh at the camp all the counselors so then like brenda's there bill's there and then uh they kind of lead us into the next scene where they're like well all we're missing is uh annie she's the camp cook so this is where Annie ends up hitching a ride with uh, Mrs. Voorhees in her Jeep. Just like Keller mentioned before, it's just kind of a POV. Uh, like your your Mrs. Voorhees just like staring at Annie, and it's like Annie's just like like it's almost like a children's TV show, like 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 having a conversation with you and like waiting for a response, and then it would be like it would like cut away, and it'd be like a transition scene of like the Jeep driving down the road, and then it cut back and be like. Oh yeah, I I love cooking things. It's awesome. Like it's you know I love kids. I was reading that that was like uh, Pamela's trigger when she started talking about how how she wants mm. to make the kids happy and like cook for them and stuff. Well, yeah, and she was the cook before that, so this is like her replacement. Exactly. But yeah, we we, we mentioned it before, but yeah, it was like she was maybe a little. Just like overly nice and just like trying to be polite and is like, I think you missed the turn to the lake. Um, okay. Like takes a beat. Then when she knew that something was off, she just tucked and rolled out of the Jeep, which was That was the good. softest landing I've ever seen. For how fast <laughs> it looked like she was going. Yeah, they're going like sixty around that curve and she just <laughs> uh plopped into that bush nice and soft. Yeah, that looked like the most ideal landing spot like ever. <laughs> but um she did get up with a limp. That ended up, uh, you know, becoming a factor for her. So yeah, then uh, Mrs. Voorhees pursues her in uh, in the woods, and I kind of like this because it shows that Mrs. Voorhees oh, is behind dude, her. You like what? this? Come on! Oh no 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 no! Just just hear me out! Hear me out! Hear me out! <laughs> uh, so she's pursuing annie and she's behind her this entire time and then in the coming sequels this happens all the time with jason where he's always behind them and he's walking and they're running 
and somehow he just like magically appears like in front of them or around a corner and you're like how the hell that happened this is exactly what happens with annie's character where she thinks she's in the clear she had been running for a while and then she uh like trips and falls down and looks up and mrs Voorhees is right in front of her and uh ends up uh slitting her throat up against a tree so that was pretty brutal i hate like i'm pretty good with like like violent and gory scenes like i can handle them but i just yeah throat stuff just i hate it it just you know what i mean like i i even think back to like oh i had a fucking paper cut like right like okay people can't see where i'm pointing but like kind of like in between like like almost like in between like my collarbone and like my up like in my upper neck like i don't know how it happened but i just remember it was like such a fine cut but you just you, you could hear the paper like on your skin and then it just like it doesn't bleed right away it just you're like oh that I was like that was kind of weird and then it was like coming out and i'm just like do you fucking imagine like a and hunting knife just slides off of your, off of your i was neck like what and it's like it started sliding off <laughs> Oh yeah, th- those do make me squeamish. Like Kevin Bacon's kill, like that, Oof. really kind of um, the blood squirting. Me. Yeah, don't the, like the squirting one. neck blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Annie's dispatched, and yeah, in a pretty. I mean, I guess compared to other kills, it's not as brutal. But for me, I'm like kind of like, uh, for me, it's a pretty brutal kill. So. Now we get to the point where basically Steve Christie is uh, not going to be a factor in this movie anymore, really. He informs them that he has to go into town to stock up on supplies. Very, very vague, not uh, giving away too many details. So, yeah, that's like... Gotta go go get some stuff. You guys take care of the camp. I'm gonna be gone for the rest of the night. Yeah, I love how like when he's in the diner, he's like, "Those kids." Uh, what do you say something about? I was like, "This is their f- they don't they don't even know the woods or something like like <laughs> saying like how they're not like prepared at all." And it's like, why the fuck would you leave them there for hours and hours? I mean, you just assume that they just would go in inside a building, I guess, if it's storming out. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, fucking Steve, but. Yeah, Steve uh, leaves, and then right after that, we get the scene where Brenda is trying to set up the archery range, and uh, suddenly an arrow is shot next to her on the target that she places down. She turns around to a cackling old Ned, uh, just just being a jokester, being just being the typical Ned prankster boy. However, in my opinion, dude, that's that's taking it too far. Are you fucking crazy? Could have killed her. Is that a um, attempt to make Ned a possible killer? I didn't see it like that, but maybe. No, I didn't see it like that either. I love how she's but, mad like, for. They like, don't a really. Uh, they don't really propose any other killers aside from Steve. I feel. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they they try to like have like it's probably Steve. He's been gone. We haven't updated you in the last thirty minutes on what Steve's yeah. doing, and he drives a jeep, like you said before. Um, but yeah, in that scene, 
it's just funny how she was like so angry at him for like the first 20 seconds and then he like cracks like two or three more jokes and then she's like oh, ned and it's like you it's just like, met this guy it's like the sims where you make somebody angry then you just have to keep clicking like make a joke make a joke make a joke and then you get back in their favor become friends again i wish that how that, that's how life worked <laughs> You piss off your boss or something like uh joke 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 um, flirt, right. flirt, flirt. no 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 not flirt, not flirt. <laughs> making the situation so bad um yeah that is funny i actually had that thought watching this like some of their reactions um <clears throat> like just the way their bodies move sometimes i'm like that kind of reminds me of like sims <laughs> i didn't i never thought of that physically watching them like marcy like if you ever watch this again like just like watch how she like swings her arms it's very sims like interesting so yeah she's mad for a second and then they just kind of run off together so they decide to take a break they decide to take a break from the chores that they were doing which it really only looked like alice was the only one oh i guess bill was painting the lifeguard station they decided to take a break and swim in the lake. And uh, as they're setting up rafts, also a comment about how they're setting up rafts. Ned was way too excited to be on that raft and and like having them pull him to like the to like the connection point. Like, he just what? wants to feel anything in life. I want to be like He's a hedonist. Like Ned's like just. Give me his energy, man. Just like anything in life is just like it's exhilarating for him. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then this is where like I started to get a little confused because like Alice and Bill are like laying not just like, okay, I, you can lay next to somebody in suntan and have it be whatever, but they're like shoulder to shoulder, like touching each other, like, oh, like heads almost touching, like suntanning together. And that's where I'm like, what's going on here, guys? We, uh, a little love triangle i i just want there to be like a pure platonic friendship between them i feel like that that's what uh um that's what we need more in in these horror movies is uh men and women being able to be platonic hey i i agree i think a platonic relationship is probably what we got but you gotta remember, he gave her a little smooch on the cheek. Earlier. Oh no, you're right. <laughs> uh, he's gone beyond platonic. Platonic is out the, out the window, man. That's no longer. Th- hey, they were playing strip monopoly, and he's like, "Ah, oh, fuck that." Nah, I'm in. I gotta spend a whole summer with her. She's my girlfriend. <laughs> he's my summer GF. I liked like the the small scene where it's like Brenda thinks that she sees something in the woods because Mrs. Voorhees is like spying on them as they're, as they're swimming. And then like they show her point of view from like that distance. I'm like, I feel like that'd be really hard to like see somebody all the way across the lake like that. Like, I don't think you get out there. Cause like I think about like my lake, you know, like on that beachfront area, and you can like it's pretty skinny. I think it's about a half a mile across that you could like see to the other side. And I'm like, I could like that's what it kind of seemed like for them. And I'm like, I maybe you could see like a figure, but you would never 
like be able to like I don't know. I wouldn't be like, what is that? Like, oh. but I guess she kind of was like right away. It's just like, oh, nothing, nothing. I didn't see anything. I'm good. Let's talk about vitamin C. It has like nitrates or something. I forgot about that. Um, later on in this scene, they notice that, uh, well, Ned ends up playing a joke on him, but that Ned's basically faking that he's drowning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Brenda and Jack run to the lake to rescue Ned, and I love this. Brenda does a proper dive into the lake, and Jack belly... He tries to dive. He does, like, the form, but he completely belly flops. Do you remember that? And he's got the tiniest little swim trunks on. Yeah, did you see the scene when they finally brought him up, and it's like... They're, they're like, showing, like, Alice talking, but, like, Kevin Bacon's, like, junk is just, like, right there. And I'm like, do you have a hard on right now? And I'm like, no, it's just his shorts are so fucking adrenaline hard on. Yeah, he's like, I didn't save my friend's life. Yeah, they they end up like rescuing Sometimes him. Ned takes it too far. Ned always takes it too far, and they bring him up on the raft, and they perform a resuscitation, and then Ned starts kissing Brenda. And oh, you jokester! Come on, Ned, that wasn't even funny. She just met him today, and he's almost killed her. And he, now he's like, he's forced made her, to kiss on her. Yeah, he pulled the Sandlot move on her. Well, I guess yep. he's the first one to do it because this came before Sandlot. But yeah, definitely something that like would not. I mean, didn't fly back then, but definitely like definitely a scene that you like wouldn't put in a movie now unless you were like definitely trying to set up like him as being a very, 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 uh-huh. very unlikable character. Which I don't think they were trying to do with him. They were just like trying to make him a goofy guy. People love this guy. Come on, we love him. But you could see that, like, yeah, Marcy was like, I felt like she was flirting with him because remember they were laying on the raft and then she like said something to him and then she like pushed him into the water, uh, Mm -hmm. like before all that stuff happened. So very playful with him. Very playful. Yes, very much so. Better be careful, Jack. That's all I'm saying. Jack's oblivious. So now we transition to the snake scene. I have some background information on this. That's pretty cool. Obviously, Alice sees the snake. She freaks out, which I just... This scene is fucking chaotic. They go in there and they rip the entire room apart. (laughs) Like they're, they're like trying to hit it with a pillow and everything. And the only one, like Bill is like stoic. Like the entire time is just like... And everyone's like like chaos around him, and he just like he chops the fucker the thing in three pieces. Get this killer. That that was a real snake. He actually killed the snake. So the handler, the snake handler, had like not been on the scene or when they were shooting that, and they they killed the snake. And when he came back, I guess he was just like devastated. Just can't. I, can't believe I yeah. couldn't believe it when I saw the scene. I was like, it is chopped up a real snake. Yeah, real snake. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's crazy. Yeah. So the snake wrangler was just like beside himself. He's like, what the fuck did you do that for? Sorry, we had to use eleven of your snakes because we kept messing up the scene. Do you have another one by chance? <laughs> but yeah, like everyone just like went crazy um about that and 
what did she what did marcy uh pull, says the joke of like well i guess we all know what we're having for dinner like to to lighten the mood and they're like come on chris marcy come on god marcy you take it too far sometimes and now we get to the very appropriate scene of ned um ned fooling around wearing a a costume of of his liking i guess and uh a police officer showing up that like why like it wasn't he was just by himself doing that why do you think he did that <laughs> i don't want to go into the mind of ned the, 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 yeah why did the police that, officer show up again he was just checking on he was looking for that? he said that uh somebody said that they saw crazy ralph biking up this way so he was like <laughs> making sure that he's not have you guys seen him and they're like we have not seen anybody like how you're describing and that's where he's like uh even the police officer is being like racist from what he was like saying to like calling ned like, you better be quiet whatever and then you know stuff like that and then says that thing about to jack about look like you just stepped out of a spaceship son i'm not talking about tobacco i'm talking about the green stuff the weed yeah that was just like a just a weird scene and they all were kind of like smirking like not taking this guy seriously at all yeah which i feel like is pretty realistic if yeah sure sure bud (laughs) so then he ends up leaving and then right after that scene alice is like setting up the kitchen for dinner and when she opens up the pantry, what do you know? Crazy Ralph is in the pantry and he comes out and says, I'm the messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. This place is cursed. Cursed. It's got a death curse. <laughs> I feel like there is a lot of just like jumping around with these writers. Like they just wanted like five different little storylines and they just jumbled them up together ralph i'll i'll uh i'll always cherish his part in this movie jumping out of the pantry like why is he why is he in the pantry is he is he scavenging why do you think he's in there i don't know he's just like watching them and he's like he he he, uh he's he comes out when he says that stuff and then like Marcy's like, oh my god, what's this guy doing here? And this is like the first time Ned is actually like serious. He goes, hey, get the hell out of here, man. Like first time in the whole, like, I love like, I think Crazy Ralph just like looks at him like, huh? Like, he's like two feet taller than him. Like, huh? Do you know who I am? I'm Crazy Ralph, bitch. But I like how he's um, as he like runs out of the cabin and gets onto his bicycle, he's like looking at like Alice is like watching him leave and he goes, You're doomed. You're all doomed. And then uh Jack walks up to Alice and he goes, I think we just met Ralph. That's like from like a like like a sitcom. Like that would be like a line in a yeah, sitcom. Oh god. Imagine uh, being in that situation though where you're just like going into the pantry and there's a full grown man in there. Yeah, it'd be fucking s- terrifying. S- saying prophecies. And then his I'm the, I'm the messenger of God. <laughs> the fact that they 
we watched Ralph bike away for like a minute. Like it kept yeah. cutting back to Alice watching him and then cutting back to Ralph biking away, like winding <laughs> winding through the trees. Back to Alice, back to Ralph. They should have done that with the myself. cop too. They they did that it they stuck on the cop for a while too, because remember he had to like drive down the gravel road and then like do a half donut and then drive back <laughs> up and it was like what is going on like, spend two minutes on each of those yeah it was just biking away i was just like outrageous but yeah i remember like watching and being like god like when are they like when does nighttime approach like i feel like this is kind of like taking a while to like get into it and it's only like an hour and a half movie and then when does nighttime approach what is going <laughs> on what's happening here like like super confused watching a movie that's taking place during the day- daytime. <laughs> I thought the. Well, no, like... I'm wondering when does nighttime approach now? You're like watching, be like, I'm pretty sure that there's like day and there's night. Like we've been on day all day in this. Now movie. this holds true for this cinematic universe, correct? When's nighttime gonna approach? I haven't seen it since the prologue. Not gonna lie. No, but I, I actually, I was like, what, like, like we've, it's been, it's been a long motherfucking day. Good God, when did they start? But now we get to the point where it, like, it's sundown, and the storm's approaching, and Jack and Marcy are hopping on logs along the lake, and uh, Ned is getting jealous, and he's trying, he's like watching them from a distance, and he's uh, decides to walk another way, and this is where Ned dies because he sees Mrs. Voorhees entering the cabin. He just is like, can I help you? And so he's starts like walking towards uh, the cabin. And he is a, another off-screen death. So he just dies. I wish we got an on-screen Ned death. That would have been a good one. And he had a throat slash death because we see his body uh, afterwards. Right. So, um, but yeah, that that would have been kind of that would been kind of neat. How would you have wanted Ned to die? Um. I think it would have been kind of cool to see maybe if he switched spots with Brenda because like Miss Voorhees is trying to play like trying to lure her. Help me, help me. Hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. And, like like it would have kind of been like okay, she's playing a joke on her or like, you know, deceiving her and you'd be do if you were doing that to the jokester, it would be a little more on the yes. nose. I think, yeah, that would have been awesome if he had, like, fallen victim to, like, a fake prank and yeah. <clears throat> um, died that way. Or if he would have gotten actually drowned by mm-hmm. Mrs. Voorhees, I think either of those would have been good deaths for him. Yeah, like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Yeah, so then we transition. We already talked about this where Marcy's talking to Jack about... Uh, uh, her dream and then Jack says before they go into the cabin it's going to rain like a son of a gun <laughs> have you ever said that Keller <laughs> oh yeah just offhandedly I thought that was like a that was probably like all of the acting effort went into that scene for her I feel like that was something that she um, just like the after the dream sequence scene for Alice, like that mm. was all the focus of her acting effort was put on that. Um, my blood rain dream. 
Marcy, which also seemed this very her yeah Marcy's blood blood rain dream that seemed yeah. very out of place for this movie. <clears throat> yeah, it just it was kind of odd. Well, and then um, I wanted to say that this actress, this was her only movie she ever did. She was she was mostly wow. just like a theater um, actress, I guess. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of cool. I don't know what more to say about that. Yeah, just a little fun tidbit, fat boy. But yeah, they they go into the cabin and uh, they're horned up and they start having sex on the on the bunk bed. And uh, as they're doing it, they're unaware that Ned's body is in the bunk above them with his throat slit. And Mrs. Voorhees is underneath their bed the entire Ned's time. Ned's last prank being dead yeah being dead above you or dripping <laughs> dripping blood on jack's forehead so i completely forgot the order of jack and marcy's deaths i thought that marcy died before jack died but that obviously wouldn't make any sense so when i was watching this and she's like oh i have to use the bathroom i was like oh yes, i'm pretty sure that she dies in like the bathhouse and then I was like, I know Jack like lights a joint. I was like, does he like get up and like dig in a backpack somewhere and then come to lay back down? And in that time, she sneaks into underneath his bed and then kills him. But I was just completely wrong. I was just she was just know, under there the whole time, under there the whole time, just trying to get her with an arrow you, in her hands. You know what ended up killing Jack? Marcy's bladder. You're right. Think about it. It did. Yeah, if she, if she had just stayed there the whole time, would Mrs. Voorhees just have laid laid under their bed the entire night and I think maybe had I'm, to go pee herself? Yeah, I was like, okay, guys, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta slide in. I guess I got I gotta go. I just gotta go. I gotta Excuse get out of here. <clears throat> Camp um, coming through. But yeah, so Marcy ends up leaving and uh, after she after she leaves, Jack grabs a joint and lights it up, and then drips of Ned's blood starts dropping on his forehead. And before he's able to like even like realize what's happening, um, Mrs. Voorhees grabs him by his head, rams an arrow through the bed, piercing his throat and gushing blood everywhere. It was awesome. It was a great kill. That was a great kill. Sorry, Kevin Bacon. So Jack is uh, dispatched. While Marcy is using the bathroom, she's hearing like the door creaks and stuff. I, I think at first she she thinks that it's Ned. I don't know if you got that impression that I think I think she might have like said his name. I mean, if I thought that anything weird was happening around that camp, I would just assume it's Ned playing a prank on me. Yeah, I also thought that her behavior was really weird by herself. Like when she was like, <laughs> what was she like? Was she like? pretending to be like an actress in the mirror or something or she was like reciting lines yeah i think she had some you think she was just ad-libbing yeah trying out for their next movie well even like when holly was watching she was like what is she doing and i was like i think he's just like you don't do that while you're alone yeah i was like i was like oh she does everybody does that he's like pretend you're smoking a cigarette in a mirror and throw some dramatic lines out you know what I'm saying? But yeah, no, she thinks that like 
either Ned or some of the counselors are trying to pull a prank on her. And so she walks towards the showers and she pulls the curtains back. And this is where she, uh, oh, this is also right before she accomplished the last thing in her entire life, which is fixing a, a faucet, which is pretty cool. Then she has that line of like, it must have been my imagination. And then right as she turns around, an axe is raised and the axe is slammed down into her head. And I, like I said before, I love the fact that it hits the, I don't know why, it just like, it just adds like a fucking just mm-hmm. freaky element to hitting the light. Yeah. And the fact that we get to see the aftermath of the axe in her head is pretty, pretty gruesome. So that was great makeup work. Yeah. That was awesome. So now we have just the three counselors left. We have Bill, Brenda, and Alice, and they decide to play strip Monopoly. Well, I guess that was Brenda's idea to play uh, strip Monopoly, and so they do that after they do that after a while. And then I think while this is happening, they cut to scenes of like Steve Christie at the diner, where he talks about like, ah, oh, better better head on back and. Yada yada yada, and he leaves. I picked up my trailer and all my vague supplies. It's like, why couldn't have that just waited till the next day, Steve? Just and then he gets out there and his fucking truck batteries or his Jeep batteries dead, and he has to wait for the police officer the to show up. Killed my battery. Well, doesn't that happen to you? Yeah, every day. You, you live in Seattle or what? Uh, you could say so. Eventually, their game gets interrupted by a gust of wind blowing the door open which prompts Brenda to remember that she thinks that she left her cabin windows open. So she's like, we got to call it a night. And I love that her like last line is like, just when things started to get interesting, because she's like <laughs> just in her bra and underwear at that point. So she was pretty close to, I don't know if it's considered winning if you're naked or if it's you lost. So when, when I guess, yeah, it's a win-win situation. She ends up going to the bathhouse where Marcy was killed and Mrs. Voorhees is actually there hiding behind the shower curtain watching her and she kind of hears some things and she's looking over that way but it kind of set it up as like something might happen there but something like nothing happens. It's just that's not where she dies. Okay. She doesn't die there. That is a good like kind of fake out because like we know that that danger is there and we've seen somebody literally die in that space. Yeah. So it's good suspense and um yeah, just to keep the suspense going. And she so, uses the faucet that Marcy fixed. So good job, Marcy. Good Brenda heads back to her cabin and she lays down for bed and she curls up with a book and she's a good girl. <laughs> She starts hearing like a sound like a child like calling out saying like help me. Yeah, that was pretty creepy. And I love how like it lingers on her because it they don't like repeat it again. They just they say it that one time. They repeat it later, but they they say it that one time, and it lingers on her. Just like it, it's exactly how you would be. Mm-hmm. You would just sit there for like a, it was like a solid that. twenty thirty seconds, being like, did I just hear someone say help me? It's like Taylor. And what would I? What am I gonna do right now if it was real? Yeah, and then <laughs> she's like, just like considering mm, whatever. And then she goes back to her book, and then she hears, "Help me, please!" Like again. And, oh man, like I'd be shitting my pants. And she's like, "Yeah, fuck that." All right, I better, uh, I better head on out there. She doesn't even like gear up in anything either. She just like heads out there and like her. Yeah, she uh, just has that, that rain cloak, a nightgown. Oh and yeah, she's, she's just like, in her nightgown. That's right. And she's barefoot. Did you see that? She like 
she was barefoot yeah, when she left the main. Like, do what are you doing, lady? Coat? Come on. What is the matter with you? Put some shoes on. Grow up in a barn. She is like contemplating like whether it's an actual call for help because she might think that it's probably also just Ned. Ned playing a joke. Fuck Ned. Fuck Ned. He fuck this everybody. all up. Yeah, seriously. So she is kind of like lured to the uh, archery range, and she's like calling out, and they're no longer saying anything. But then Mrs. Voorhees turns on all the lights, like the floodlights. She's blinded by the light. It's another off-screen death for her, but you could probably assume that she got a few arrows in her in her body. She died. Oh no! She got poop in her blood, and she died. I wasn't assuming that. A Ned prank. Now we go back to Alice, who after or Bill. What did he do? Did he go out and check on the generator? And he's like, "Oh, well, we're all good. Everything's, everything's yeah, yeah." Fine. Turn the lights back on. Yeah, and then Alice tells Bill like that. She this is why I like I like Bill because she she's like, I heard a scream. I think it might have been Brenda and also the archery lights were on archery range. Uh, the lights turned on and I felt like it would have been really easy to have Bill be a character of just like, no, you didn't hear anything, you know, just being like trying to just be like a realist and just be like, no, there's no way that you heard Brenda screaming and like he, but he did say like, I don't see any lights on. And she goes, well, they turned them off. And then, uh, He's like, well, I, I guess I better uh, I better go see what's going on. Just check out the situation. This time when Alice says, would you like me to come with you? He says, yes. He accepts it. So they, bo- they both go to Brenda's cabin where they find uh, the axe that killed Marcy uh, tucked in her mm, bed. Right. Which was like... Uh, I just felt like Alice's character, I hated her reaction there. It just like wasn't believable. She's just like, what is going on? <laughs> she had a lot of moments like that where, like, it just like bothered me. Kind of just she like, just stepped off a spaceship. Yeah, I guess they all were high to some degree, so yeah. can't fault them for that. High off of uh, strip poker or strip <laughs> monopoly. <laughs> uh, then they end up going to Jack and Marcy's cabin, and then the bathrooms, but they don't find anything. So Mrs. Voorhees is good at cleaning up uh, her mess, apparently. They start to suspect that this isn't like a prank and they start to think like this might be serious because they can't find anybody. So yeah, uh, there's a bloody axe in the bed. Bloody axe in the bed, mate. Bloody axe, mate. But Bill does like, he tries to keep Alice calm by like suggesting like, no, he's like, well, we'll get it figured. That's where he kisses her on the cheek where he's like, let's just go back to the cabin. Uh, Mr. Christy will be back, you know, anytime, and then we can take his Jeep into town and we'll figure this all out. We can steal so, his Jeep. Kill him, steal his Jeep, do our thing. So I the two break into Steve's office and they try to use the phone, but the phone lines have all been cut, which I think at that point you're like, Yeah, something fucks going on here. Because so that's, that's where just the standard in horror movies, you gotta show that the phones are dead. You gotta always. show that the cell phone has no service it's uh people don't say like well why didn't you just call somebody <laughs> every time so th- yeah i think this is also the point where alice says 
let's just start walking. Let's just start walking and like, let's just get out of here. Like, I don't feel comfortable. And then there's not where like Bill's like, it's 10 miles to the first crossroad. Like we can't walk. And it's like downpouring. You can walk and you can walk 10 miles, especially if you're going to get killed. Well, I, Hey, I, I would, I'd, I'd be fucking out of there. Are you kidding me? Yeah. If, if Alice was like, let's start walking, I'd be like, bitch, I already started. I'm a mile ahead of you. <laughs> I'm bringing this I, axe with me. As soon as I found the axe, I'd take the axe with me. I'd and this like, bow yeah, and I'm arrow. Out. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm I'm done. But yeah, so then they try to, uh, they get back to where the cars are at and they try to take Jack's car to town, but it won't start. And I love how Alice is like, well, what's wrong with it? And all Bill says is, it's wet. <laughs> batteries what he he had a lot of the He's same answers yeah no for a handyman he had a lot of answers that just were i don't know like what's wrong with it i don't know he's like it's sweat i don't know just what's wrong with the generator i don't know it's like, like fucking hell. Guy or a generator guy like i only know generators that's it i don't know anything ned about was the car guy he yeah died. he's fucking dead so the two decide to wait in the in the main cabin for Steve to get back. And this is where Steve's on his way back from the uh, from town and running his errands because he got picked up by the police officer. Well, said that Steve's Jeep gets stuck in the mud because of the heavy load of supplies he's hauling. And he can't. I can't quite remember. I remember he was driving home in the uh, in the rain and yeah, he had to get the ride. I can't remember what the what the reason was oh whatever well yeah i so could he's see get- that being the reason if the other car couldn't start um they can't just have two cars not be starting because they're wet the police officer gives him a ride but then he gets a call about like an accident that happened in town so he's like this is as far as i can take you which is like at like the entrance of camp crystal lake which is probably well, that's, pretty that'll work yeah <laughs> pretty far still for where he has to go (laughs) and it's funny how like pamela just like knew that he was like gonna be there at that time and that's how far he was gonna get uh so yeah she's already hiding behind the sign but like he's walking right past there didn't even think about that yeah because yeah steve walks the rest of the way back and he is uh walking up to the camp crystal lake sign yeah flashlight gets pointed in his face and he he definitely recognizes who the person is and he's like, what do you, what do you do now in this uh, mess? And then he gets, you uh, cook me up anything good. <laughs> oh, you're the camp cook. Where are my taters at? I'm hungry. He's like, you bitch fucking stabs him. You're just at a diner for six hours. Yeah. You had like seven cups of coffee. Shouldn't even be alive right now. <laughs> <laughs> but she ends up stabbing him in the chest. So he gone. He did. Below screen. So now we're back at the camp and the killer goes to the power generator and disables it. That was also kind of eerie because you had all the lights on and like the camp was pretty well lit. And then when she turned it off, like it got dark. Yeah, that was pretty dark. I was like, damn, like, yeah, you know, I don't realize that kind of reminds me. Remember when um we went to Taylor's uh his dad's like old like place and um we're we in the dark. Did we do that? We did that maybe at your place. 
I think we did it at my place, but no, I, I'm thinking of when we were walking through the woods, remember? Because you parked like fucking half mile down the gravel road and we were going to start drinking. You're like, oh, I left my booze in my trunk. And I'm like, motherfucker. And we started like walking. And like, I just remember like Taylor's dad had a bunch of lights on in his area. And like when you're surrounded by it, you don't realize like, I mean, it, it was dark out, but you don't realize how yeah. how dark it actually is. And then we started walking and I was like, holy shit, like take my flashlight out and it's like oh, we walked a half a mile through the straight through the woods or what no we walked on the gravel road but it was a half mile there half mile fucking back and <laughs> i just yeah i that's a bit of a walk yeah it was i just remember that being i was i was definitely creeped out especially with you i was thought you were gonna shoot me with a taser uh <laughs> so now bill Bill has to go out and investigate. He's like, that damn generator, I tell you, it's uh it's acting up again. So he's leaving, and Alice, she does offer to go with him again. And this time he declines and says, You know what? Nah, stay here, get some. Everything sleep. seems safe enough to go by myself right now. Yeah, just hold on to that bloody axe i'll be back soon yeah steve's steve's still not back and it's just like why don't you wait up here for steve it's like dude after everything you've seen you you know steve's not coming back he's (laughs) he's dead she stays in we get the scene of bill trying to fix the generator and he finds out that the generator is actually plump full of gas so like he initially thought that it ran out of gas that wasn't the case so somebody had been messing with it so he like hangs up his lantern to try to like work on it yeah just kind of like cuts away from him so you don't really know it's not like apparent that he was just killed he just like did we even get the music during that mm, i don't scene? think so i don't think we did i love how alice like wakes up from her nap hey, bill bill uh, uh, just like <laughs> over the top just like come on come on alice get real steve phil no, and they, she should have had a third name for the guy back in California. Yeah, just uh, things I have to figure out in California. That's the name of it. She decides to go out on her own to to look for him. She goes to the generator, and when she opens the door, and I love this reveal, and this is where shit starts going down. I love that when the final girl is coming across the bodies, and it's just like just mass chaos, but. Um, yeah, like I said, I loved it when his, his body was, uh, was pinned up against the, the door with all of the arrows. He had like arrows in his head. He had arrows in his chest. He had, he had his fucking neck slit. I mean, it was just, uh, Bill got fucked up by Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. She had a specific vendetta against him. I feel like for, for some reason, that's because like she's like i'd spent so much time turning these generators off and now you're <laughs> undoing all my work it's like this little yeah shit. he was like they just like tossed on just like random bits of makeup on him just like hole here hole there arrow here yeah. arrow there and the just... arrows are did she shoot him with arrows and he just stuck them to the wall <laughs> <laughs> see i don't think like physically she would be able to even like well that wouldn't work obviously and physically but also physically she would be able to like michael myers him and like hold him up and then like stab these arrows does she just stab people with arrows yeah 
she's like very primitive like before they had bows <laughs> just using arrows as like melee weapons <laughs> <laughs> so yeah stone age she runs back and she basically like barricades herself in the main cabin where i was just like what are you doing and then we had like i just hated how long the scene was of her making coffee you remember that that was that was also a strange scene to have have it takes so long so so long and then brenda well i guess tom savini gets thrown through the window and you see brenda but also brenda's body didn't even look like she had any arrows in it she was just like wrapped in rope (laughs) Rope. (laughs) yeah she got roped to death so she was constricted yeah she uh yeah, and she was also like moving during the scene. I noticed that too. I was like, wait, is she not like fully dead yet? Or is that just like bad acting? But basically immediately after that happens, that's where Alice hears the vehicle outside and thinks it's Steve because it's the the Jeep. But instead it's Mrs. Voorhees. And Mrs. Voorhees is like, oh, hi, I'm an old friend of the, I'm old friend of the Christie's. And Alice is just like hysterical. And I, I for sure thought that she was going to slap her right there. They'd be like, Snap out of it. And Mrs. Like, Voorhees was going to slap her? Yeah, that she was going to slap her and be like, snap out of it. She didn't. Well, she did later, but not there. I wonder why she didn't just, like, jump on her right then. She needed to, to do the exposition scene. That's what gets them all. <laughs> yeah. Is that they need to explain well, everything. You're the last one, so I need to explain this to you to get my rocks off. Yeah, it's like, it's part of their game. But yeah, she uh, they go inside and check, and we, we already talked about how she reacted to uh, um, Brenda's body. But then she starts like criticizing Steve for trying to reopen the camp after all of the tragedies that happened here. She basically just t- talks about how the camp is cursed and that her son Jason died. And I like that there's like the flashbacks of him, like or maybe they're just maybe her their vi- her visions or something of him like in the moonlight in the lake, like flailing and and actively like what drowning. she imagines was what it yeah like. yeah so if she okay. had actually seen that it's like mine she go out there mrs Voorhees, and she save her son yeah yeah you're you're just as much to blame okay oh you were scared of making making the food i had to flip the pancakes oh you were scared of overcooking the noodles okay well guess what your son's dead so <laughs> hope you're happy I like how she stops herself. I wonder what she was going to say. She's like, Jason wasn't, he wasn't a very good swimmer. Like, what do you think she was going to say? Like he wasn't normal or something. Yeah, That's that's what I thought was like, she was going to like say something maybe that. Because I think it was kind of like up in the air about whether like Jason got bullied into being out in the water, which like led to his death. And um, because he's a little frog boy who couldn't swim. <laughs> Fucking frog boy. <laughs> and then I I don't know how I just completely blanked this from my memory, but she's like, June 13th is her son's birthday. So Friday the 13th, I was like, oh, that, that would make uh, that would make sense. Uh, and then this is where she goes crazy. She switches between talking to herself and then like shouting at uh, Alice and then like starts like accusing her for killing um, her son. And then she shows off her like 
utility belt with her hunting knife. She kind of lunges at her. Yeah, I think this whole sequence with her hunting and like switching between hunting and fighting with Alice, like for a long time, like it's a long time that they are like so, yeah. in this cat and mouse game. <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of like the feeling like extended feeling of anxiety I had watching um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original when oh, yeah. Leatherface is chasing the the final girl <clears throat> and that just lasts forever. Um, that was the... more intense. That was more intense, but <clears throat> right. Yeah, that's one where you're like begging for it to stop. Yeah. It's just like it's actually like really getting to you. This one was like my god like it's just the same thing over and over again you like <laughs> well i just didn't understand why alice when she would like knock out mrs Voorhees, she would go and run and hide in another cabin it's like well, that's your chance to like take her keys off of her and drive yeah. away the killer blow the... or yeah just kill her but i mean i understand not wanting to like kill someone Oh, but for sure. Yeah, for sure. Don't just go and hide. And what are you going to do? Just wait for ever? <laughs> like, what what do you like, expect is going to happen? Yeah, she's she'll give up at some point. And it's like, I don't, she's pretty determined. She's killed like seven of your friends. So I think she'll eventually find you and try to kill you. Yeah. Despite like that's kind of stupidity, like I, I was still very kind of on the edge of my seat with, with like, when she locked herself in that room and Mrs. Voorhees is like, it's like walking past like this, the little slats in the door mm -hmm. where you can, the light comes through. And then she's suddenly at the door and like breaking it open with the yeah. ax. That was I, all good. I love, it was like right after the scene, right after uh, they were in like the main cabin where she's like throwing like balls of yarn at her. She has a gun. She's trying to load a gun and she like I couldn't get it loaded or something. And she's like like throwing balls of yarn at her and then Mrs. Voorhees like backhands and like front hands her. Yeah. It had to have been 15 20 times. It was like comical. It was amazing. <laughs> just beats the shit out of her. Just death slaps. <laughs> that was awesome. So, I'm reading something right here right now that says the class ring on her left on Mrs. Voorhees' left hand removes all doubt that she's the killer. I wonder if there was uh, like wounds on the previously killed that showed class ring marks. I didn't notice that. Yeah, kind of throwing me off here. This this needs further research. What's going on here? What was I gonna say? Uh, <laughs> uh mrs Voorhees. uh yeah she breaks down the door and rushes at alice brandishing a machete uh, oh yeah did either of them ever fire the gun did they get the no. gun working at any point no yeah yeah the ammunition drawer is chained and locked so she wasn't before she could load it she was uh, bitch slapped by Mrs. Voorhees like 37 times, but she tasted the class ring. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is funny because Alice hits her on the side of the head with a frying pan to knock her out. 
This is like right before they run out. They run out to the to the beach. So (laughs) they're on the beach and they're like having their like beach fight and beach fight, beach fight. Alice ends up knocking the machete out of her hand with like a paddle, and the two end up like wrestling with each other in the lake. Like this goes on for like yeah, like a really long time. Yeah, it was a struggle to the death. But yeah, eventually Alice grabs the machete and decapitates Mrs. Voorhees in one swift stroke. Like that had to have been the sharpest yeah. machete ever. And I'm pretty sure that this is the first ever on-screen decapitation. Wow. Which is pretty cool. I thought but, when I was watching the movie that Alice had the oar back in her hands at the end. And she like swung the oar at Mrs. Voorhees. And she decapitated Voorhees with the with a paddle. I was like, damn. That'd that be was pretty unexpected. That cool. was an unexpected wound from what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah, Alice gets into the canoe and paddles out to the middle of the lake for some reason and falls asleep. I, I guess she felt like that would be the safest spot to be. I don't I don't understand. She was in shock. Yeah. Then the morning comes and Alice is still sleeping in the canoe and the police arrive like on the yeah peaceful music police arrive on the beach um and they're calling out to her and she wakes up and the decomposing corpse of jason ends up popping out of the water and attacks alice and pulls her while she's screaming hysterically and he pulls her out of the canoe and into the water as she's underwater it's revealed that this might have been a dream of hers i will say that oh. was an extremely effective jump scare for me oh yeah I was because it's zooming in it's like, off guard. <laughs> just a super peaceful music <laughs> yeah it, it's awesome it, it 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 makes me jump even when i'm expecting it sometimes it just does then she wakes and she's in the hospital and she's asking about jason they said we never found no boy in that lake and then she just she like whispers her line says then he's still there. And that's the end of the movie. That's uh Yeah, the classic it was the fake ending dream sequence wake up after dream move. <clears throat> yeah, that was not my not my favorite way to to end it with no. that, but cheap. Yeah, I don't know. You'll have to watch the second one because, like, the the beginning is also kind of there's like a lot of controversy among fans of like what that also means. But I don't want to ruin it for you or what it might be. Yeah, so. this has made me excited to to get into the series. I think, <clears throat> like, I'm glad that they've made horror franchises for every season because I think this could be my summer horror franchise to watch <laughs> if, yeah for sure all summer focused but um i, I thought this was like it, it didn't uh stack up for me like to <clears throat> halloween or um nightmare on elm street but mm-hmm. i think it had its own merits and it's like it's like a different genre pretty much i mean it's still a slasher but um it is just kind of that more like mundane, just like the foundation of that camp 
slasher, summer slasher type thing. It's, it's the setting in the environment that kind of sets yeah. it apart from the other ones. And I agree. I feel like production value wise, like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street are, are up there. And this is kind of plays like third wheel to them but it's still a super fun franchise especially when uh when jason gets uh looped in and the more you kind of go down the line he just gets even more ridiculous and it's the one really cool thing that i will say i don't think it'll ruin anything but the consistency of his decomposition is is pretty remarkable for movie to movie i'll just say like he gets more decomposed movie to movie yeah and they like stay consistent with that like basically throughout the entire like franchise which is pretty awesome like shit that like he got fucked up with in the previous film like they'll keep it in the next film so if he had like something like an axe to his mask like he'll have a mark on his mask or i like that yeah just like a bunch of like really cool stuff uh that happens but yeah i'm glad that you enjoyed it if you were to give like an overall rating like one out of uh 10 uh kiki mama Ma's, what would you give it i give it six kikis <clears throat> definitely recommend it as like a, a must-see foundational type slasher movie um yeah and i i need to see some jasons now yeah, we'll definitely get those on the on the schedule. But yeah, I agree with you. I would I'd probably pump it a little up. I'd probably do seven Kiki Keys and Mama Ma's. So um yeah, like I said, this is like one of my favorites. Not my favorite in the franchise, just because like Jason's just so much more like entertaining and and fun and wild to to watch on screen. But yeah, I definitely think I would recommend this. And I definitely think that if you're a horror movie fan, like this is this has to be like high on your priority list and like i feel like once you watch it like you're kind of like you where you're like i now i want to watch the rest of them you know it just kind of pulls you in so i would definitely recommend this yes all right well cool uh yeah thanks for joining me on this episode thank you everyone for for listening totally appreciate that if you want more content from the film room you can go to our facebook page at the film room we have a twitter page same at the film room instagram and then we're also on tiktok at the film room i've been pretty active on there and putting putting some just random videos out and stuff we also have a patreon account at the film room horror where we put out some of our podcast episodes we have some uh, like short horror stories like fictional horror stories that we've been putting out on there and then i've been taking some of the pre-recording like just shit shooting with keller and i or crazy uncle seth and just kind of putting it on there as like bonus uh, extra content for you guys and i would say the best way to help us and make the show grow is to rate the podcast on the listening platform that you're on and leave us a review so that this can get to other people's beautiful ear holes please ingest just ingested but yeah thanks for coming on keller this is always a a good time and it's always fun to do these uh these classic ones too i was super look forward to yeah Yeah, I appreciate you guiding me through my journey and and uh, my first discoveries of these of these classic movies. Coming to them late, yeah, this is fun. Of course, I'd love to be the captain. You are the captain now. All right, guys. Until next time. See ya. Have a beautiful night.